0: Welcome back. This episode, I'll be reading Chief Justice Rehnquist's concurring opinion in Bush v. Gore from 2000, which seems to be the origin of the highly controversial independent legislature theory. The idea that state legislatures are the ultimate authority in determining the rules by which states appoint their allotted number of electors to the Electoral College. A power so absolute, according to this theory, that it cannot even be checked by state courts and officials. Now, if this theory were to become law, state legislatures could refuse to certify the results of a presidential election for whatever reason, and instead appoint its own slate of electors to the Electoral College, no matter which candidate had the most votes. If this sounds familiar, it's because it's very similar to former President Trump's efforts to appoint unauthorized slates of electors in several states where he lost hoping to overturn the 2020 election in his favor. Those efforts may not have been successful, but it's important to note that three of the nine sitting justices embrace and indeed endorse the independent legislature theory, first described in this concurring opinion in Bush v. Gore, Written 22 years ago by Chief Justice William Rehnquist. Yeah. Chief Justice Rehnquist, with whom Justice Scalia and Justice Thomas join, concurring. Part 1 We deal here not with an ordinary election but with an election for the President of the United States. In Burroughs v. United States, 1934, we said, While presidential electors are not officers or agents of the federal government, they exercise federal functions under and discharge duties in virtue of authority conferred by the Constitution of the United States. The President is vested with the executive power of the nation. The importance of his election and the vital character of its relationship to and effect upon the welfare and safety of the whole people cannot be too strongly stated. Likewise, in Anderson de Celebrezi, we said, quote, In the context of a presidential election, state imposed restrictions implicate a uniquely important national interest. For the president and the vice president of the United States are the only elected officials who represent all the voters in the nation. Unquote. In most cases, comedy, and respect for federalism compel us to defer to the decisions of state courts on issues of state law. That practice reflects our understanding that the decisions of state courts are definitive pronouncements of the will of the states as sovereigns. Of course, in ordinary cases, the distribution of powers among the branches of a state's government raises no questions of federal constitutional law, subject to the requirement that the government be Republican in character. But there are a few exceptional cases in which the Constitution imposes a duty or confers a power on a particular branch of a state's government. This is one of them. Article 2. Section 1, Clause 2, provides that each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct electors for president and vice president. Thus, the text of the election law itself, and not just its interpretation by the courts of the states, takes on Independent significance. In McPherson v. Blacker, 1892, we explained that Article II, Section 1, Clause 2, conveys the broadest power of determination and leaves it to the legislature exclusively to define the method of appointment. A significant departure from the legislative scheme for appointing presidential electors presents a federal constitutional question. Title Three, USC Section 5, informs our application of Article II, Section 1, Clause 2, to the Florida statutory scheme, which, as the Florida Supreme Court acknowledged, took that statute into account. Section 5 provides that the state's selection of electors shall be conclusive and shall govern in the counting of electoral votes if the electors are chosen under laws enacted prior to Election Day and if the selection process is completed six days prior to the meeting of the Electoral College as we noted in Bush v. Palm Beach County Canvassing Board. Since Section 5 contains a principle of federal law that would assure finality of the state's determination if made pursuant to a state law in effect before the election, a legislative wish to take advantage of the safe harbor would counsel against any construction of the election code that Congress might deem to be a change in the law. If we are to respect the legislature's Article II powers, therefore, we must ensure that post-election state court actions do not frustrate the legislative desire to attain the safe harbor provided by section 5 in florida the legislature has chosen to hold statewide elections to appoint the state's 25 electors importantly the legislature has delegated the authority to run the elections and to oversee election disputes to the secretary of state isolated sections of the code may well admit of more than one interpretation, but the general coherence of the legislative scheme may not be altered by judicial interpretation so as to wholly change the statutorily provided apportionment of responsibility among these various bodies. In any election but a presidential election, the Florida Supreme Court can give as little or as much deference to Florida's executives as it chooses, so far as Article 2 is concerned. And this court will have no cause to question the court's actions. But with respect to a presidential election, the court must be both mindful of the legislature's role under Article 2 In choosing the manner of appointing electors, and deferential to those bodies expressly empowered by the legislature to carry out its constitutional mandate. In order to determine whether a state court has infringed upon the legislature's authority, we necessarily must examine the law of the state as it existed prior to the action of the court. Though we generally defer to state courts on the interpretation of state law, there are, of course, areas in which the Constitution requires this court to undertake an independent, if still deferential, analysis of state law. For example, in NAACP v. Alabama X. Ralph Patterson, 1958, It was argued that we were without jurisdiction because the petitioner had not pursued the correct appellate remedy in Alabama's state courts. Petitioner had sought a state law writ of certiorari in the Alabama Supreme Court when a writ of mandamus, according to that court, was proper. We found this state law ground inadequate to defeat our jurisdiction because we were unable to reconcile the procedural holding of the Alabama Supreme Court with prior Alabama precedent. The purported state law ground was so novel in our independent estimation that Petitioner could not fairly be deemed to have been apprised of its existence. Six years later, we decided Bowie v. City of Columbia, 1964, in which the state court had held, contrary to precedent, that the state trespass law applied to black sit-in demonstrators who had consent to enter private property, but were then asked to leave. Relying on NAACP, we concluded that the South Carolina Supreme Court's interpretation of a state penal statute had impermissibly broadened the scope of that statute beyond what a fair reading provided in violation of due process. What we would do in the present case is precisely parallel. We hold that the Florida Supreme Court's interpretation of the Florida election laws impermissibly distorted them beyond what a fair reading required, in violation of Article 2. This inquiry does not imply a disrespect for state courts, but rather a respect for the constitutionally prescribed role of state legislatures, To attach definitive weight to the pronouncement of a state court, when the very question at issue is whether the court has actually departed from the statutory meaning, would be to abdicate our responsibility to enforce the explicit requirements of Article 2. Part 2 Acting pursuant to its constitutional grant of authority – the Florida Legislature has created a detailed, if not perfectly crafted, statutory scheme that provides for appointment of presidential electors by direct election. Under the statute, votes cast for the actual candidates for president and vice president shall be counted as votes cast for the presidential electors supporting such candidates. The legislature has designated the secretary as the chief election officer with responsibility to obtain and maintain uniformity in the application, operation, and interpretation of the election laws. The state legislature has delegated to county canvassing boards the duties of administering elections. Those boards are responsible for providing results to the State Elections Canvassing Commission, comprising the Governor, the Secretary of State, and the Director of the Division of Elections. After the election has taken place, the canvassing boards receive returns from precincts, count the votes, and in the event that a candidate was defeated by 0.5% or less, Conduct a mandatory recount. The county canvassing boards must file certified election returns with the Department of State by 5 p.m. on the seventh day following the election. The Elections Canvassing Commission must then certify the results of the election. The state legislature has also provided mechanisms both for protesting election returns and for contesting certified election results. Section 102.166 governs protests. Any protests must be filed prior to the certification of election results by the County Canvassing Board. Once a protest has been filed, the County Canvassing Board may authorize a manual recount. If a sample recount conducted pursuant to section 102.1665 indicates an error in the vote tabulation which could affect the outcome of the election, the county canvassing board is instructed to a. correct the error and recount the remaining precincts with the vote tabulation system. b. Request the Department of State to verify the tabulation software, or C. Manually recount all ballots. In the event a canvassing board chooses to conduct a manual recount of all ballots, Section 102.166.7 prescribes procedures for such a recount. Contest to the certification of an election, on the other hand, are controlled by section 102.168. The grounds for contesting an election include receipt of a number of illegal votes or rejection of a number of legal votes sufficient to change or place in doubt the result of the election. Any contest must be filed in the appropriate Florida Circuit Court, and the canvassing board or election board is the proper party defendant. Section 102.168 provides that the circuit judge to whom the contest is presented may fashion such orders as he or she deems necessary to ensure that each allegation in the complaint is investigated, examined, or checked to prevent or correct any alleged wrong, and to provide any relief appropriate under such circumstances. In presidential elections, the contest period necessarily terminates on the date set by 3 U.S.C. Section 5 for concluding the state's final determination of election controversies. In its first decision, Palm Beach Canvassing Board v. Harris, 2000, Harris won, the Florida Supreme Court extended the seven-day statutory certification deadline established by the legislature. This modification of the code, by lengthening the protest period, Necessarily shortened the contest period for presidential elections. Underlying the extension of the certification deadline and the short changing of the contest period was presumably the clear implication that certification was a matter of significance. The certified winner would enjoy presumptive validity making a contest proceeding by the losing candidate an uphill battle. In its latest opinion, however, the court empties certification of virtually all legal consequence during the contest, and in doing so, departs from the provisions enacted by the Florida legislature. The court determined that canvassing boards' decisions— regarding whether to recount ballots past the certification deadline are to be reviewed de novo, although the election code clearly vests discretion whether to recount in the boards and sets strict deadlines subject to the Secretary's rejection of late tallies and monetary fines for tardiness. Moreover, the Florida court held that all late vote tallies arriving during the contest period should be automatically included in the certification, regardless of the certification deadline, even the certification deadline established by Harris 1, thus virtually eliminating both the deadline and the secretary's discretion to disregard recounts that violate it. Moreover, the court's interpretation of legal vote, and hence its decision to order a contest period recount, plainly departed from the legislative scheme. Florida statutory law cannot reasonably be thought to require the counting of improperly marked ballots. Each Florida precinct before Election Day provides instructions on how properly to cast a vote. Each polling place on Election Day contains a working model of the voting machine it uses, and each voting booth contains a sample ballot. In precincts using punch card ballots, voters are instructed to punch out the ballot cleanly. Quote, after voting, check your ballot card to be sure your voting selections are clearly and cleanly punched, and there are no chips left hanging on the back of the card. Unquote. No reasonable person would call it an error in the vote tabulation or a rejection of legal votes when electronic or, electromechanical equipment performs precisely in the manner designed and fails to count those ballots that are not marked in the manner that these voting instructions explicitly and prominently specify. The scheme that the Florida Supreme Court's opinion attributes to the legislature is one in which machines are required to be capable of correctly counting votes, but which nonetheless regularly produces elections in which legal votes are predictably not tabulated, so that in close elections manual recounts are regularly required. This is, of course, absurd. The secretary, who is authorized by law to issue binding interpretations of the election code, rejected this peculiar reading of the statutes. The Florida Supreme Court, although it must defer to the secretary's interpretations, rejected her reasonable interpretation and embraced the peculiar one. But as we indicated in our remand of the earlier case, in a presidential election, the clearly expressed intent of the legislature must prevail, and there is no basis for reading the Florida statutes as requiring the counting of improperly marked ballots, as an examination of the Florida Supreme Court's textual analysis shows. We will not parse that analysis here, except to note that the principal provision of the election code on which it relied was, as Chief Justice Wells pointed out in his dissent in Gore v. Harris, Harris II, entirely irrelevant. The state's Attorney General, who was supporting the Gore challenge, confirmed in oral argument here that never before the present election had a manual recount been conducted on the basis of the contention that undervotes should have been examined to determine voter intent. For the court to step away from this established practice prescribed by the secretary, the state official charged by the legislature with responsibility to obtain and maintain uniformity in the application, operation, and interpretation of the election laws, was to depart from the legislative scheme. Part 3 The scope and nature of the remedy ordered by the Florida Supreme Court jeopardizes the legislative wish to take advantage of the safe harbor provided by 3. USC Section 5. On December 12, 2000, is the last date for a final determination of the Florida electors that will satisfy Section 5. Yet, in the late afternoon of December 8, four days before this deadline the Supreme Court of Florida ordered recounts of tens of thousands of so-called undervotes spread through 64 of the state's 67 counties. This was done in a search for elusive, perhaps delusive, certainty as to the exact count of 6 million votes. But no one claims that these ballots have not previously been tabulated, they were initially read by voting machines at the time of the election and thereafter reread by virtue of Florida's automatic recount provision. No one claims there was any fraud in the election. The Supreme Court of Florida ordered this additional recount under the provision of the election code, giving the circuit judge the authority to provide relief that is appropriate Under such circumstances. Surely, when the Florida legislature empowered the courts of the state to grant appropriate relief, it must have meant relief that would have become final by the cutoff date of 3 U.S.C., Section 5. In light of the inevitable legal challenges and ensuing appeals to the Supreme Court of Florida, and petitions for certiorari to this court. The entire recounting process could not possibly been completed by that date. Whereas the majority in the Supreme Court of Florida stated its confidence that the remaining undervotes in these counties can be counted within the required time frame, it made no assertion that the seemingly inevitable appeals could be disposed of in that time, although the Florida Supreme Court has on occasion taken over a year to resolve disputes over local elections. It has heard and decided the appeals in the present case with great promptness. But The federal deadlines for the presidential election simply do not permit even such a shortened process. As the dissent noted, In the four days remaining, all questionable ballots must be reviewed by the judicial officer appointed to discern the intent of the voter in a process open to the public. Fairness dictates that a provision be made for either party to object to how a particular ballot is counted. Additionally, this short time period must allow for judicial review. I respectfully submit this cannot be completed without taking Florida's presidential electors outside the Safe Harbor provision. Creating the very real possibility of disenfranchising those nearly six million voters who are able to correctly cast their ballots on election day. The other dissenters echoed this concern quote, The majority is departing from the essential requirements of the law by providing a remedy which is impossible to achieve. And which will ultimately lead to chaos. Unquote. Given all these factors, and in light of the legislative intent identified by the Florida Supreme Court to bring Florida within the safe harbor provision of 3 U.S.C. Section 5, the remedy prescribed by the Supreme Court of Florida cannot be deemed an appropriate one as of December 8th. It significantly departed from the statutory framework in place on November 7th, and authorized open-ended further proceedings which could not be completed by December 12th, thereby preventing a final determination by that date. For these reasons— in addition to those given in the Percurium opinion, we would reverse. We've come to the end of the opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to what SCOTUS wrote us.